0: An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age.
1: This is a journey into sound.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an elegant weapon episode 236. My name is Jay, JM Clark, Jay, the Jedi Ross, Ross, Jedi J. And of course, as always, it's so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies back here with me in the L5J studios, to where we have recently returned. Where have we returned from? The wondrous land of Pennsylvania. That's right. Once again, our home and native base, the Points of Interest Podcast Network, was very honored and privileged to be the official moderation team for The Great Philadelphia Comic Con 2017. That's right, kids. Once again, I went on down to Philly with my POI cohorts. My partner in pod, Josh Haquez Hawks, and his hosts from back when we were interesting, Francis Fernandez and Shelley Rassell. Josh and I also did some podding for two days later. As well, joining us down in Philly, Wookiee Will Blatman, Norm Larkins, and Jimmy McKnight of the Ninja Starship Podcast with Jimmy McKnight. We all congregated there, and we hosted our asses off. We cannot thank the great Philadelphia Comic-Con organization enough for once again giving us this tremendous opportunity. The staff, the volunteers, the management Of course, the fans made this yet again. And probably, uh, in its history, the best Philadelphia Comic-Con yet. So, very, very cool. Thank you to Chris and Carla. You guys are just the raddest thing in the cosmos. Very special thanks to, uh, to the man. Stan the man. Stan the man Kanopka. And his beautiful wife, Tracy. You guys made all of this come together. You are the glue in our universe, we cannot thank you enough, we love you guys, Stan Kanaka, cool stuff coming from them, the rejected, Oh, wait for the rejected kids, it's going to be good times, so I'm going to start us all off with a bang this week on the weapon, and I'm going to bring to you the Star Wars panel that I hosted, A New Hope to Rogue One. That's right. I was very, very honored to sit down on the stage and conduct a conversation between some Star Wars legends, Alan Harris, Angus McInnes, David Ancrum, and John Morton. That's right, kids. I'll tell you all about what they did and who they were. Gold leader. Dak. Oh, very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Uh, yeah, they tell us some awesome stories. Uh, Because some of them were in the New Hope, and they were all the way through to Rogue One. And it's very cool because some of them hadn't even met before. But they had this kinship, which you'll hear us talk about. So it was a thrilling experience, and I'm very, very, very pleased to be able to share it with you. Uh, Stay tuned to poi Podcast.com, the Points of Interest Podcast Network. The Ninja Starship with Jimmy McKnight, back when we were interesting, two days later con Wiz, uh, all these awesome shows are going to have some incredible philly comic-con coverage coming your way man did we host some cool panels uh, can't wait for you all to hear them and enjoy but you know what there's nothing like doing it live so next year you got to put the show on your calendar you got to put it on your calendar april 2018 the great philadelphia comic-con you know we'll be back once again thank you to all involved you're awesome fans in Philly and you buy books you buy comic books it's an important thing can't thank you enough but for now here's my conversation with Angus McInnes Alan Harris John Morton and David Anchor oh yeah good morning everyone how are you doing this morning excellent to hear we have some guests we have some Star Wars guests we're gonna go through the list, ladies and gentlemen. The voice of Wedge Antilles, he was an announcer in Rogue One. You heard him on Yavin, David Ankrum. It's all right, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a guard on Bespin, and he was also Bosk, ladies and gentlemen. Alan Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, gold leader himself, Angus McKinnis And we can't forget poor Dak. John Morton, everybody.
3: Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I do apologize. <laughs>
2: sneak up yeah. on. my own little chair here. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here in Philadelphia. Are you having a good weekend? Yeah, yeah Perfect. Look at, the, look at the size of that audience. It's good, thank you all for coming. Yeah, Greatly appreciated. We hope you're all having fun as well. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to basically start simple. Maybe we can go along the line and you guys can just talk a little bit about how Star Wars has affected your life. Just being involved
1: in this mega thing. Well, not at all. It had, had no effect at all on me. I just sort of, you know, bumbled along through life, and now it's been fabulous. It's it's really funny when you do something, and then a uh, hundred years later, you're um, talking to all these wonderful people. It's really very, very bizarre, and it's a little unnerving. But um, I'd like to thank you all for coming out. It's really appreciate it, and uh, I'm deeply flattered. But it has had a huge impact over the years, not least because uh, I got a, a wonderful movie called Strange Brew out of it. And Strange Brew, if anybody knows Strange Brew, it's a very silly movie. But Dave Thomas was a huge fan of Star Wars, and when I had the interview with him and Rick Moranis doing the movie, and all Dave could talk about was Star Wars. We didn't talk about Strange Brew at all. <laughs> it's, just, it's what was it like doing this, and what was it like doing that, and what was it like doing this, was that ever exciting, that was fabulous. And I walked out and I was thinking, these guys are really odd. And they gave me the job. I couldn't believe it.
2: (laughs) I'm from Toronto myself, so I can greatly appreciate Strange Brew. Absolutely.
4: (laughs) Hey, well, yeah, this has been such a treat to be a a part of this this galaxy. I mean, I had auditioned for C-3PO back in 1976 when we didn't really know. I was an actor in Hollywood, didn't really know... What the movie was, we knew George Lucas from American Graffiti, but um, didn't hear anything. But they laid my voice down, and then in post-production, they had me come in and do a a voice of this Scottish actor, (laughs) Wedge Antilles, which was such a treat. And at that time, we didn't really know much about the movie or what it was going to be, and. Here, 40 years later, I'm sitting on a couch with some great actors and uh, wonderful
0: people in um, Philadelphia. Yay! <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm lucky I worked on four Star Wars films because I was uh, an extra in stand in. And so I could do all sorts of things. So um, my first experience was on the f- uh, New Dawn, the first one, escorting Carrie Fisher under an X Wing fight. I didn't know who she was, nobody knew in Britain who these two young actors were, and the guy that she was going to see was Mark Hamill. We know who they are now, of course. And, and then later I was called in to stand in for C-3PO for lighting and camera work. where um, I had a gold mask and a gold jacket, so just to, for lighting and camera. But there were gaps when he wasn't working, and uh, so they did me put me into various costumes, and so I was very lucky. But I didn't know about conventions ten, um, until 10 years ago. And uh, Jeremy Bullock, uh, Boba Fett, phoned me and said, uh, do you want to come along to a convention, you know, meet the fans and sign autographs? I said, what? (laughs) He wanted me to sign my autograph? I couldn't believe it. Now, it's wonderful. I like people. I think to do this sort of thing, and and being on the tables as well, you've got to like people. It's better for you, it's better for us. And and we, we all enjoy it now. We all enjoy it.
3: Well, yeah, I think, you know, picking up on what Alan just said, uh, what's remarkable about Star Wars, all of us have done other films and have had, you know, successful careers in other media. But Star Wars is like speaking uh, Esperanto. I mean, it's a language that just about everybody in the world that you could think of uh, has had some experience or exposure to Star Wars. And for the most part, it's been, you know, life changing for them. So, I mean, you all are here because. Star Wars has had a, uh, an aspect in your life that's been transforming. And that's a wonderful thing to share. So you can walk into a room and if there's the subject of Star Wars comes up, immediately somebody's going to go off on a tangent and talk about Kylo Ren or you know, um, Princess Leia or, uh, or Rey. And uh, you're off and running and it breaks the ice. I know from my daughter who worked, who's in the Navy, um, there's so many people in the service that interact with each other when they go to a new ship or a new base or what have you. And if they find out that they're Star Wars fans, that kind of cracks the ice. So, yeah, Alan, you're so right. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful family to be a part of. And I'm sure you're happy to be here and we are happy to be with you.
2: So so it does feel like a club? sort of thing when you even if you meet an actor who wasn't in the particular Star Wars movie you were in you feel a kinship
3: because of the whole situation most definitely I mean we're always meeting people we hadn't met before never met it's it's it's, you know you're in the lodge (laughs) and and that's one of the marvelous things about what George did and also some of the people that we forget uh, Gary Kurtz who was just a wonderful man who was the producer Um, those men set uh, the bar as to the way life should be, uh, in my judgment, the, the spirit, and I know Alan's heard me say this before, uh, of Empire Strikes Back, which was the only film that I worked on, was right the way down to the tea lady, and I will never forget the tea lady in, in Ellstree, who was one of the most welcoming women uh, I can ever remember. She went around with her tea caddy and made sure that everybody was happy. Hello, love. You having a nice day oh isn't it marvelous (laughs) I mean she was great now that's at the very bottom of the pecking order the pecking order gets its spirit from the people at the top and so the spirit that the tea lady had was engendered by George Lucas and Gary Kurtz that's that's my feeling about it
2: there's uh a As much as you know this has been a long time thing for decades and then there was a resurgence with the prequels but they didn't really kind of reach back or you know get kind of nostalgic about the whole thing as much as since The Force Awakens and Rogue One has come out. Have you felt a resurgence of like the nostalgic aspect of it? Is it even more kind of meaningful to people now that it's come around to this point again where guys like you are getting
4: involved in the new ones as well? Yeah, I mean that, for, for me, I, it was 40, 40 years later, I get a phone call, you come to Disney Studios to, are you available to come in and uh, do a voice, and I, I just, you know, threw my calendar out and said just, yeah. It was, it, it was an energy, a new energy for me too, I mean to kind of book in 40, 40 years of this, this great Well, It's so nice experience. to see those
2: names in the credits, again, we had Mark Dodson here two years ago yeah. Uh, the voice of Salacious Crumb and the Gremlins, and he couldn't really tell us, and it wasn't until it came out, but he got to do a few little creature voices again for uh, The Force Awakens. And see, just seeing his name there in the credits again, it's like right on, like paying respect to the hard work that you guys all put in back in the day. It's got to feel good, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely important that 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 the connection that was made especially with the newer films and with Rogue 1 but there's this wonderful connection now between gluing the whole ideas together you know visually and story-wise and it's very very exciting i mean it's, it's and it's also for me hugely surreal i mean when i had to when i revoiced the stuff for Rogue 1 I'm looking at myself when I was about 28 years of age, and you know, I was like, I was standing there going, oh my God, what's going on? What happened to me? You know? I get streamlined, but I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's really, it's astonishing. I still haven't recovered from it. I, I still don't know what's going on. It's like such a, a bizarre idea, and every once in a while I just pinch myself and think, that's really bizarre. But it's also exhilarating. I mean, it's great uh last
2: year julian glover was here and he said pretty much the exact same thing Is that right yeah he said it, it was a job you know yeah, i yeah. got hired i did a job it was fun silly sci-fi movie and it's followed him the rest of his life it's you know it's it's yeah. like the basis of almost like a second career coming to these cons and stuff yeah. like that you know and he never and,
1: stops working as an actor Right, right. I mean, oh yeah, he's always doing stage work, and well, is oh, a busy, busy actor. Game of Thrones.
2: He uh, yeah. just
1: had, had his little yeah. bit there. Yeah. He just doesn't stop working.
2: Yeah, but it was so exciting. I mean, how how exciting was it when, when you saw him again? Oh my God, Gold re- <laughs> Gold Leader back on the screen. Wasn't that amazing? Yes, it's so much fun. Thank That's you. unbelievable. Thank you. And having to voice the new announcer on Yavin, you did this right? Yes. Which is yes. fun yeah. because, you know, you hear that and we're back on Yavin. But did you realize that the dialogue they had
4: given you was actually kind of Easter egg? Yes, they had they, planned it. But I, the interesting thing is I had different dialogue the first time I did it. And then a uh, couple weeks later they called and they had, we had to redo it because um, Wedge in A New Hope hasn't seen the Death Star before. When I say, look at the size of that thing. So I had to, because the dialogue indicated that I had seen the Death Star on, uh, in, in Rogue One, so I had to redo it and they just kept me, kept me on the base as a PA announcer and I re, reworked it, but um, that's the detail they do, they, they, sure, you know, sure. someone, well, you, someone caught that. I'm sorry I'm blanking
2: on the name. The General, uh, from, no, from uh, Rebels. Does anybody watch Rebels, the cartoon? You mentioned a few Rebels characters. It's an S. Somebody help me. Yeah, Sidola. One of the characters in Rebels, her and her father is a general in the Rebellion. You mentioned his name in those announcements. And that was one of the little Easter eggs that connected the new Rebels cartoon to the movie. And everybody knows. That. that. I'm learning something new, too, right. see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You all knew that? Everybody <laughs> know that?
4: I, I learned I learned more about it from the fans, too. i like, seriously, is that what happened? That's great.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. us as fans, especially me, I actually came to Star Wars. I was a bit young for the movies. I was six when Jedi came out. So I was a little young for the first ones. But it, then in the 90s, I got really into the books and the comics and the whole expanded universe, right? Which, it, it's, it's so expansive, it's amazing. And then Disney bought Star Wars, and away that all goes. So 20 years of my Star Wars entertainment all of a sudden didn't mean anything. And it was, it was crushing to a lot of us. Did anybody feel like that? They put a lot of effort over the years, right? So we're really worried, but they said to us, don't worry, we're going to cherry pick. You know, We'll kind of do this. Uh-huh. And I, I myself am so pleased to the extent that they have gone with that. And included so many little things throughout Rogue One and The Force Awakens yeah, that I know yeah. a lot of you guys are just like, I'm just working. It's my job. <laughs> guys like us, but you, you know, guys, it, you've been, Yeah, is, is that yeah. cool for you guys to know how intensely people, yes, you know, comb through this stuff?
4: I, I, I absolutely. I, I mean, I really I get that all the time about the, the expanded universe and the books. And I, I mean, I really have to I have to read them because it's you know, it's a it's a world that I'm I'm a part of, but. A little distant from so I mean it, it uh, but I, I love the energy and and uh, um, I have to ask about Bosque um, I think probably costuming
2: wise you may have had uh, you know had to endure the most though so how was that
0: being so inside the special effects and dealing with that yeah the, uh, the, co- the main part of the uh, costume on the body was a real high altitude inner space suit it was for a, a, a rocket program called uh, the Blue Streak, and uh, but it they never actually used the app, that one. But they made various suits. There's one in, is in the um, uh, British uh, Space uh, Museum in Leicester. It's on the Ring Road, and uh, it's there's a box, and it's got that the same body uh, suit. Uh, on, the fe- on the feet, there's. A black boots, lace-up boots, up to where it stops there. And on the hands and arms, there's uh, brown gloves on there. And for the head, there's a helmet that clicks in like that. Now, if you look at the Bosque uh, costume, there's a $2 flexible hose around the neck here, and that's hiding the aluminium ring that the helmet clicked into. Now, that alone would be $5,000 to make that ring that goes around the neck. So. And they had on these legs, they had uh, each sled, they had hot water coming in one side. It practically works because they the, they screw it on. Hot water went in that side, went into an olive green close fitting bodysuit to heat the body because it's minus 250 degrees Celsius up there. And then it comes out the other side and goes around and be reheated again. And uh, so it was. Oh, that was for real, but uh, and they never actually got it up there, but nevertheless, and they t- the last time they tested it, fine enough, uh, to make sure it was worth the one that uh, was in the museum, uh, was 1999. <laughs> Years after the, the whole scheme had been, been stopped. But the hands and the feet were all made for me, and uh, the head was already being used in the past, in the first Star Wars film. I think it was somebody in the... Um, Cantina had a head the same as mine, but they, they changed the color of my one. I've I met the guy that painted it in actual fact. I'm gonna have to look for that now.
2: Everybody have to look for that. Yeah, it's, uh, you guys must appreciate the fact then that nowadays they're like, okay, we've had our digital CGI experiment. Everybody was so excited. George, obviously something so new and we all know how much he loves to play with his new toys. But we've learned since that kind of a mix of CGI and practical does a little better. So it must be nice for you guys to see them going back to the way you guys did it. Duct tape, rubber suits, like yeah, making it happen, fun. yeah?
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's important in, in, uh, in cinema. When you're making films, I, I have a very, very strong believer that if you make it up from almost nothing, then for some reason it, 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 there's a cachet about it and it catches fire if everything is just laid out, people don't, I don't think they struggle as hard and it's not as visceral. And somehow or another, when we were doing the the first Star Wars, and I've done other pictures like this, when you feel like you're building something from nothing because people are being very creative on their feet. They're going, how do we fix this? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Even if it is, you know, duct tape and pieces of cardboard it's not as easy as we'll fix that on the computer later exactly and and then you get this weird awareness that you're sort of making it up as you go along but when it works it's just it's gets this electricity and it's nice really really nice it's it's a very exciting experience to feel like you sort of built a go-kart that does 200 (laughs) miles an hour
2: (laughs) that's amazing uh shall we take some questions do we have any questions in the audience from anybody No, you're just here for cool stories? Yes, absolutely. Here, let me bring you this microphone.
3: Hello there. Hi. Uh, Nice to see you guys here. So, my question is, uh, for any of you who've seen the new Star Wars movies, you know, Rogue One and Force Awakens, what do you think about the, I guess, the path that the storyline is taking for Star Wars? Having, I guess, knowing what you know about the original trilogy, how much, what do you think about the, the, the path they're taking now you know with, with the, the storyline itself and then going back and doing one of like the I guess prequel kind of shows with Rogue one
4: From, from uh, my r- point of
1: view it's the idea that you can take the kernel of a, of a story like Star Wars and then you start taking derivative ideas out of it it's very very interesting and it's also very exciting because it allows for a new edge of creativity people are taking a very slender line of story and then conflating that and making it work. And when you think about it, there's a lot of stories that could be told. And I think it's a very smart move. Smart move commercially, but it's also very smart because it grows the whole world. It gives it depth and more layers. It's like building an onion up. So instead of stripping it away, you're building it up. And I think that's really interesting, I think it's fascinating. And if they pay attention and do what they did like with Rogue One, because they've got the new Han Solo movies coming out, and they've got other, you know, all these little things are starting to, These these little stories are starting to be, and I mean, I was surprised, that it, when I sat and watched Rogue One, I was shocked at the end, because they killed them all. And I was like, what? Where's the sequel? <laughs> and then I thought, no, it's not supposed to be a sequel. This is like a standalone, leave it alone. And then the next one will be a standalone, the next one will be a standalone. In the meantime, the story continues. And I think that's just fascinating. A fascinating thing in terms of its, just its creativity. So yeah, it's, I think it's very exciting. And I think, I think people that are into Star Wars, like most of you guys are, should be very excited about that because they won't all work Let's face it, I mean, you, know, you can't hit 100% all the time, but most of them will work, because the team behind this is, they're fans. Yeah. That's what's weird, is that the guys that are making the movies now were fans like you guys. They're about the same age, and it's like, they've got this whole juggernaut of, of ideas going. And They wanted to do this since they were that big. And it's, I think that's fascinating. The people that were fans as kids are now building the new, the new generation of, of this story. They're, they're adding to it. So it becomes this great big extended story. An entire movie off like two sentences in a scroll. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it's amazing. But it's just like a seed. And, and the seed, you, you know, it's like, a, it's like the, the acorn. It's right. so all you need is an acorn. And What do you wind up with? A 150-foot tree. Well,
2: you can see the feeling. Like the original movie, so much passion went into that. You can tell how much fun people had. So George made the prequels, but still in his mind, he's kind of ahead and he's trying something new. I can't imagine for the people who are making the new movies and JJ's whole staff and everything, okay, you comb through the movies, find out who did this, 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 and that. We're going to call them up and get them to come on back. How much fun would that job have been? Can you maybe, David? Can you tell us about yeah. when that first po- phone call came and they said, we, "Well, we need you again."
4: Well, for yeah, for Rogue One, um, it was really Matthew Wood on Facebook messaged me on Facebook, and he said, "Are you, you know, are you available uh, for something I'm up to?" He is I'm a huge to. fan too. And I just, you know, what are you up to? You know, and he said, "Oh, it's a little SW movie, you know, an SW project." And at that time, it was called uh, Los Alamos. They weren't even giving oh, yeah. you the title. Um, even when I got to Disney and the soundstage outside at Los Alamos and that we had to sign something that we didn't know until till the end. It was Rogue One, it was cool. Um, but I love that, kind of the the mystery of it all too. But yeah, when I got that that uh, eventually we, we hooked up on the phone and uh, flew out there and I mean I was so and then still, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but he had a plan to, to he wanted Wedge's voice established on right, right. Yavin. Right, so. he was He was here um, last
2: year, Matthew Wood. Wow. And uh, it's strange, Matthew Wood is Lucasfilm's sound engineer, I don't know if anybody was here last year and saw his panel, but he's not an actor, he's not on the voice side of things, he was just the sound engineer so general grievous when they were coming up with his voice trying to figure it out george lucas wanted six takes of six actors they found five made five takes and he was like i we need a six i don't know just do it yourself quick all right okay and just like <laughs> as a throwaway he did the grievous lines and put it in there sent it to george and george called him back and said "Oh, well, i kind of like number six <laughs> and matthew wood was like oh I know, I might be in a lot of trouble here. Right right (laughs) place, right time, you know? It worked out for him. Now he was the voice of General Grievous in the movies and on the Clone Wars. He's done some voices in Rogue, too. Right, yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing how that works. Same thing with Mark Dodson, who we just mentioned. He was a carpenter at the Lucas Ranch. He was building the sound booths. While he would build the sound booths, he'd make these silly little sounds to himself. One of the producers heard it. He yeah. was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So he ended up recording the voice for Salacious Crumb in the sound booth that he built with his own two hands. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? <laughs> Those are that's cool like stories. Those the are old- fabulous stories. Yeah, I love that. That's fabulous I love that. stories.
1: That's great. Yeah. So I have to
2: ask. Um, I'm a big prequel apologist. I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of the prequels and everything George has done through the whole thing. Uh, his, his imagination is just, it's so beyond... Anything can I get from each of you just what was the experience like working with George Lucas himself?
1: Well from my point of view it was um, When we shot all this, all the footage for the battle scenes um, It was like a, a production line there was like We had we had a, a cockpit and everybody shared the cockpit. It was almost people were literally lined up so I'd go in and do mine, and then come down, and then another guy'd climb up and get into it, and then he'd do his stuff, and he'd climb down, and the next guy'd go into it, and it was just like working at Ford's again, you know. I thought well, I'm building cars here, but it was a movie, <laughs> and it was fascinating the way the way films are made because uh, sometimes when you when you first start out, you really don't know what you're doing i was used to stage work and you do a lot of rehearsals and you do you know you get everything down and then then you go out and you you start and you, and you build and build and build movies you don't do that you do all that stuff in your own head and you walk on the set and they expect you to be ready to go and to be able to roll with it so it was it was a fascinating experience and i didn't know who no one none of us knew who this skinny little bearded guy was you know so <laughs> this hair and it's like who's a hippie i mean it's like it was interesting, but we were all pretty well at sea with it. You know, we didn't know what was going on. It was like, okay, you want me to do this? I'll do that. You know, that's fine. You know, Okay. So it was, it was an interesting process be, for me as an actor because I was so used to doing, you know, everything plotted out on stage. And I learned, the learning curve is, like, vertical. It's like, you'll learn it right now or get out of here. Trial by fire. Yeah. 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 So that that was really interesting, really, really, and I mean, terrifying. Right. So you get your heart in your, in your mouth the whole time. So.
0: Right, right. David?
4: Well, I, I, I was not in England, so I was, I was the Hollywood side, so right, I, I was I in post-production, but I, he did come in. We worked side did by side, yeah. side by side, and at the time, I knew he was a kind of an up-and-coming director with American Graffiti, and uh, um, but didn't really know much about the film, and I, I just saw my sequences on a small screen and a little headset and trying to match the, kind of the rhythm of the, of the, of the voice. He had a Scottish, kind of a Scottish brogue, Dennis, and uh, uh, he gave me some direction and we did it, you know, several different ways, all the various lines, and then then he said, I want you also to do this other scene It's a different actor, but it's the same character. It's, uh, you know, the briefing room scene with Colin Higgins, who is, did one one scene in the film uh, and the line was that's impossible even for a computer and then mark was saying that's not impossible wedge i used to i don't remember the name the rest of rest that line but i know it's something about uh, sure sure, sure. Something, something but um but he it was it was you know i saw those sequences i didn't know what the movie was about and so i thought this is kind of cool little sci-fi film and uh, then when i went to the opening it was just uh, just from the first Boom. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It just kind of takes you away. Uh, right. And it still still is. still does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: Mr. Harris, do you have any George Lucas memories? Uh, yeah, I was on the first one, the first uh, escorting Carrie Fisher under an X-wing fighter. And uh, I couldn't believe how young he was. I mean, in those days, directors, it took you donkey's years to become a director. You go through theater and cutting room and so on, cut editing films. And you, you're more like 50-something before you get to direct films. And this, it looks as though he'd just come out of university. Anyway, he was the director, as it turns out. He told me to uh, escort this young actress. Um, I'd never seen her before. It turned out to be Carrie. And uh, she'll tell you to wait here, and so you stop. And then she'll go over and speak to this other young actor. That was turned out to be Mark Hamill. And, uh, I didn't know any of these people. <laughs> I'm <laughs> embarrassed to say now. But, uh, and then they had a chat for about 15 seconds. Then she came back to me and we started to walk down the hangar again. But he was quiet, uh, simple. He kept it as simple as possible. And I knew what I had to do and that's it as far as I was concerned. And the other two, they did their job very well. I think, I'm not sure it was one take. I think it did a rehearsal and one take and that was it, it was in the can. No messing about with him.
2: Nice, there you go. we done. Perfect. <laughs>
3: Mr. Morton.
0: Yeah, my experience with
3: George was similar to yours, Angus. Uh, I did Empire Strikes Back, and um, we had a, exactly the same setup with that mock-up of, in this case, it was the uh, snowspeeder, and the actors would come in and do their little piece, and then somebody else would come in. Um, but... There were three directors working on Empire Strikes Back. Uh, There was the director of record, which was Irving Kirshner, and I had a chance to work with him, and his approach was extremely different. He came from a theatrical background and he worked with his actors very much to get them to emote whatever he wanted in the scene. And so he directed me in the scene I did for Jeremy Bullock, Uh, as Boba Fett uh, with Darth Vader and um, Lando Calrissian but in the scenes where they were doing the Battle of Hoth uh, it was genuinely uh, Gary Kurtz but on occasion George would come in and do that that was a sort of a second unit effort where they were doing the battle scenes now the reason why I mention this is that each of those three directors had a different way of approaching directing in cinema, which is to pick up what you were saying, Angus. In George's case, um, at that time in his career, he was approaching directing uh, as an editor. And so, unlike Irving Kirshner, who was very concerned about what you were, your your intentions, if you, if you will, or objectives in what you were saying in the scene, um, your emotional state and what was going on. George was not interested in any of that. He didn't care how you said the line. Of course, in my case, and in any of those cases, you were gonna be dubbed anyway and there'd be a looping. He was just concerned about the eye line that I was using when I was saying the line because he was thinking as an editor saying, okay, well, when I lace this thing together um, in the editing suite, uh, I wanna have options. So, for example, how that translated for me as an actor is you say, okay, uh, action, and the camera's rolling, and so Dax says the line, um, you know, I, I can't get my approach vectors, or whatever it is, and I'm saying it up there, and he says, no, no, okay, that's good, okay, now keep it going, but now look down to uh, a little bit, le- no, go to the left, okay, say the line again. And so you'd say it to the, you know, the speaker there. So, in other words, what George had in his mind as an editor was thinking, okay, I'm not sure where this ad ad is going to be or what Dak's attention is going to be focused on when he's saying this line, but I want to make sure that I have it covered so that in case that image, when we match these things together, marrying them up, you know, that I've got a line that's, that's you know. So, that was George Lucas as an editor directing. Interesting. Um, and that's kind of where he was at that point in the film and perhaps his career. That's a, that's
1: a really interesting. I, I've never heard that that type of analysis before, but it's it's exactly right. Yeah. Because that's I I, I hadn't thought of that that his approach was editorial rather than I know it wasn't performance wise. It was no. very technical. But the reasons why that makes a he, lot of he, sense. He, he, so we learn something new every day. Yeah. He know? he
3: approached he approached uh, filmmaking in one sense, very much under the influence of his first wife, Marcia, who was his editor. And she was a superb supervising editor uh, in Hollywood. And, and that's how he was sort of thinking in terms of um, you know storyboards and what have you. Uh, he was not of a personality, as you would say, Angus. He was a very shy young man at that point and was not really communicative Uh, you know, with the actors, I think he was a bit, you know, um, in awe of them. Whereas Irving Kirshner was, you know, I mean, he was a larger-than-life guy, and uh, he pulled, you know, things out of you. Um, So, one must always remember that filmmaking is a collaborative art, and directors, as Alan was saying, for the most part, mature through their careers, but directors in film come from different experiences and that's what they bring to their directing some may come from a camera background as a lighting cameraman and so they see things visually others like George and um, Stanley Kubrick for example were very pronounced in the in the in the editing and in Luke in in uh, Kubrick's case he, he, he knew a lot about cameras he had he, he had it all those Panavisions were those were his cameras uh, yeah. That, that yeah. Kubrick had, he owned owned a, a, a Panavision, um, so so that uh, you know he was he was making money off of leasing his Panavisions to other companies to use. Um, in the case of Irving Kirshner and many others, uh, they came from a theatrical background, and so they were known for being able to work with actors. I can tell you that Stanley Kubrick was not a guy who could work with his actors. No. There's a whole story there. I did The Shining with him, so um, but. That's where George was coming from, but always remember that um, it's a collaborative art, and um, you know it's it's a give and take sort of you know people bring to filmmaking uh, what their track record is, their history, and it could be from editing, photography, theater, you name it writing right right
2: very good. Does anyone good. have any questions? We're going to round this out yes absolutely. So I have a question for Wally. Uh, so while y'all was filming your perspective Star Wars movies, did y'all ever think that it would be this big, become this big phenomenon that it is while y'all was? Did you guys have any inkling that Star Wars would get this big?
1: Oh, no, I think anybody that says they, that they knew it was going to be this gigantic thing is a, a, either a liar or a mad person. I mean, I think most of us were involved in a movie, and we thought Because there was a $9 million budget in days when big budgets were like $20, $25 million. It was a medium range picture. Everybody was expecting it to be a B movie. I was a big science fiction fan and still am. And I thought it was going to be a really good science fiction movie. But if I said to somebody, Oh, you're watching two months, there's going to be lines all the way around the block, down the street, and down the expressway. I mean, I would have just been a liar, or a, a halluc- I would hallucinating, or something. You know, eating bad, whatever. But I mean, no, no. And when it happened, I think I remember the the first screening of Star Wars at, in London, and it was for um, the cast and crew in the Tottenham in Tottenham Court Road. And I remember when the lights went down, and the the first credit roll came, there was this weird exhalation of breath from the cast and crew. Everybody was shocked. They just looked at it and went, Wow! And when the, that first ship went across, the, it was like, everybody, I and mean, when the cast is, when the crew is that impressed, you know something's, something's very, very special is going on. Those guys were just knocked out. And I thought, this is very strange. This is really, this can't be. This can't happen all these guys are so jaded. I mean, these guys are worked on 30, 40, 50 movies. And suddenly they're sitting there going, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was get? very it was exciting. So new,
4: right? It was yeah, it was
1: very, so very exciting cool. moment. And, yeah. I, and it stuck with me all my life. I, I still remember that moment. And I just it was like a wave going through from front to back as as the as the credit roll starts and the music was going. And, and I thought, wow.
2: It's such a punch in the face, though. Too you see, yeah. a long time ago, Galaxy Far Away, and then bam, bam, bam. he's yeah. like, oh my yeah. God, what's happening? Yeah. Especially yeah. then, I'm sure yeah. it was just
1: fantastic, insane. fantastic yeah. feeling. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, any last questions? We got a minute for maybe, you know, everybody's kid. Um, yes.
3: Forgive me. I'm just curious, what was like in Rogue One to actually work with? basically an actor who died 20 plus years earlier for the fact they had Grand Moff Tarkin showing up in the movie. That was just amazing. And I was just wondering if any of you interacted with that scene to understand what it was like to work with an
2: actor who wasn't there.
1: Uh, I'm Sorry, I didn't hear that whole...
2: Uh, he's mentioning about uh, Grand Moff Tarkin ha- working with an actor who's been dead for 20 years, and now that they're at this point, they can bring these actors back. Did you- did any of you have any? Do you have any kind of
4: involvement with? That? I was I was dead for forty years, and then they called me, and I, I'm <laughs> back to life. So uh, that's the only yeah, I, I didn't work with, with that. I worked just with the, with the sound, you know. But uh, but I I thought it was pretty amazing, really. I what thought they it was did. amazing uh, myself. Um, and this yeah. young guy, I mean, he just he looks so. It's all spry. makeup. Well. <laughs> Fabulous makeup.
1: They even gave me hair. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and the, I'm,
2: uh, the name's failing me of the actor who actually portrayed Moff
1: Tarkin in the new one. But just the
4: combination yeah. of all that. Wow. I, I
1: felt, though, that it's a funny thing. When I saw it, I thought... I looked at it and I said, that's Peter Cushing. It wasn't... CGI is amazing stuff, but it's not perfect. And so there was little things like when you see somebody and you know them, you recognize them immediately. But if there's something wrong, you just, it just, you know, I don't know what it was, it's just a niggling thing. And I thought, that's really weird, because he doesn't look, I mean, as it wasn't, he didn't look alive. Because <laughs> he's right, not. Right. But it was just very unsettling. Um, I think that CGI, if it's tweaking, it's great. The eyes, yeah, you you said, yeah. eyes or the mouth or something, you
2: know. Well, at least I think they're gonna be respectful about it, at least, and not just start, you know, actors aren't gonna lose jobs, I think, for CGI. I mean, they've said, we will never do it to Carrie Fisher. You know they respectfully have said we are not bringing back leia again in any way you know especially yeah. for episode yeah. nine so at least there is a certain sense of you know yeah taking care of the whole thing right so
1: there has to be some sensitivity about right absolutely that sort of thing, I think, absolutely you know?
2: um, to have any single one of you on this stage would be an absolute honor to spend an hour talking to you <laughs> having the four of you here is an Incredible experience. Wow. Everybody, please give it up. Hey. David Ankrum, Alan Harris, Angus McGinnis, and John Morton. Thank and you. these guys are over in the Celebrity Alley. Some crazy stories, not just Star Wars, but we've got, as you said, the Shining. We've got Superman 2 stories. Amazing stories. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much.